Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God from Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is God's word. We've had opportunity these last few weeks here at Our Redeemer in light of things especially happening around our world and in our nation at this time and um, things that are just really the continuation of events and realities that have always been there. But talking about struggle and, and conflict. And indeed, in the world, we find ourselves often in conflict with one another. St. Paul outlines in Galatians 5 a different sort of conflict. Back in 1812, in the War of 1812, Commander Oliver Perry famously said the words, We have seen the enemy, and they are ours. In 1970, on the first Earth Day, newspaper cartoonist, political cartoonist Walt Kelly took that phrase and turned it a bit and said, We have met the enemy, and he is us. In other words, Kelly was intimating that we are our own enemy in terms of care for the earth. Well, St. Paul would say the same thing in terms of our spiritual struggle. The, the enemy, which we fight in the fiercest battle, is ourself. My worst enemy is me, and your worst enemy is you. And that's a struggle that Paul outlines in Galatians chapter 5. And he lines up the two forces within us that are indeed warring against each other. The flesh and the spirit. Paul described it in the book of Romans in a bit different way. He talked about the, the old man that each of us are. We often call him, Luther called him the old Adam, right? That we, we inherit sin from Adam, but in Christ we have new life. Because of Adam, all die, but in Christ we have life. And so we are this old Adam that sins and is cursed to die, but we have life in Christ. So death and life within us. Or sin and righteousness in Christ, those are also forces. In Galatians, Paul calls them flesh and spirit. Those are things with which we ought to be mindful and concerned that there is indeed a battle that rages within each of us. Paul definitely gets colorful in his language to describe this battle. I don't know if you caught it in the 
first part of the chapter, and it's uh, so colorful that um, perhaps it ought to have a PG-13 label attached to it. The big issue that had been on the table in Galatia was circumcision. Circumcision, of course, had been commanded by the old covenant given to Abraham and then observed by Israel throughout the years. Those who were marked with the covenant of, or the the mark of circumcision, were those who were males that were part of that promise made to Abraham. Now, after Jesus had come and brought the gospel of forgiveness of sins through his death on the cross, there was no need for for circumcision. In the book of Colossians, which actually we're we're going to look at next after we finish Galatians in a couple weeks, there Paul refers to baptism as the circumcision of the heart. If circumcision was the mark of the old covenant, the old promise made to Abraham... The new promise is marked by baptism. And in Galatia, in Paul's day, there was this insistence among some that new male converts to the Christian faith had to be circumcised, just as Israelites were under the old covenant. And Paul condemns this in the harshest of terms. He says in chapter 5 that he wishes that those who have brought this among them would emasculate themselves. Paul's being clever here. It doesn't really come across in the Greek. But he's effectively saying that they shouldn't stop at circumcision. They should just continue and cut off the whole thing. That's what he's trying to imply here. Because so pernicious and deadly and evil is this corruption that has gotten in among the Galatians. Because they are being taught that you can somehow be saved by what you do. By your works, by your efforts. And that, of course, is completely contrary to the gospel. The gospel is not one of salvation by our works and our efforts. It's salvation totally and freely and completely through Christ and his work. The person who tries to please God by their efforts. And again, this is not to say that Christians shouldn't do works because they should. They cannot be saved by their works though. Works, Paul reminds us, are done by the flesh, by the body. That's what you do your works with, right? You think pure, holy thoughts with your mind and have pure, holy intentions with your heart, and you accomplish pure and holy actions with the rest of your body. But the problem with that body, with that flesh, as Paul calls it, is that it's corrupt. It's evil. It's fallen. And so Paul gives us this list, a rather wretched, terrifying list of what sort of works the flesh is able to produce. The flesh, our bodies, our hearts, our minds, and the rest of our bodies 
cannot do the things of God in and of themselves. What they can accomplish is sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, Paul says. That's quite a list, and Paul wrote it nearly 2,000 years ago, but man, is that timely. Because the truth of our fallen, sinful flesh is... Well, it's a timeless truth ever since, well, at least going back to the fall into sin in the garden and throughout this earthly life, that's what the flesh will be able to accomplish. A horrid, wicked list like I just read to you. Instead, Paul contrasts the life lived by the flesh with life lived by the Spirit. And he doesn't just mean that spirit within you that animates you and gives you life, so when you die, your spirit leaves you. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of God himself, the third person of the Trinity. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want you to notice the contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Because works are what you do with your body. But fruit is what is produced in you by the Holy Spirit. Works of the flesh are your actions. Fruit of the Spirit is God's action. People often look at this list here of the fruit of the Spirit and they, they, they get the whole point of it wrong. They'll say, okay, I need to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled. Those are the things I need to be. No, those are the things that the Spirit produces in you. Because you can't be those things of your own accord. Only the Holy Spirit produces those things in the people of God. I mean, we have worldly ideas of what love is. We know how love has been corrupted in our world. We have worldly ideas of what produces joy, of what accomplishes peace, or what patience, kindness, and all these other things look like. There is a worldly twist to these things that is perverted. But true fruit of the Spirit can only come by the Spirit. I made the comment on Sunday during the sermon and the last couple of weeks, and I know I kind of probably tread on a bit of a tricky ground there in doing it. You didn't quite get it here on Wednesday nights where we're doing different sermons, but I, I naturally was reflecting um, for us as the church to um, 
the Dobbs-Jackson case and the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And I made the comment on Sunday, and I think it bears repeating here, so this will be a repeat of the Sunday sermon, just a little, little section of it here, that, um, that often, you know, the church is known by what it's against, at least in the world. Because there are things that the Word of God forbids that we naturally as the church forbid. And so the people think of the church as the things we oppose and the things we are against. And I made the point, it was in a book I had been reading, where the author said, the church needs to do a better job letting people know what we are for. That was, that was helpful encouragement to me. I mean, obviously as the church, we are against the works of the flesh. We're against sexual immorality. We're against impurity and sensuality and idolatry and sorcery. And you can, you can read through the list in the bulletin. We are against those things. But what are we for? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things, Paul says. Because they're not about works. They're what the Spirit accomplishes. I can't help but think how much of the world we live in right now could use a church that is filled with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What a blessing that church could be to the world. Well, obviously, if we have the Holy Spirit, which we do, because we have the gospel, we must have those things, right? We, we know how to, how to obtain them. Well, how do we obtain them? How do, we, how do we, we get love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Last night we were at our Board of Elders meeting and we've been studying Luther's large catechism as our devotion every evening. And there was a great quote in there where Luther is describing the third article of the creed, the part about the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. And he speaks on that part and says this. So, until the last day, the Holy Spirit abides with the holy congregation, or Christendom. Through this congregation, he brings us to Christ. And he teaches and preaches to us the word. And by the word, he works and promotes sanctification, causing this congregation to grow and become strong in the faith and its fruit, which he produces. The Holy Spirit works among the people of God, the congregation of God's people. And there he's not talking about like our Redeemer congregation or the people gathered in a building, but all believers as they gather together around God's word. By that word, Luther says, the Spirit causes this congregation to grow and become strong in the faith and in it's fruit, which he, the Holy Spirit, produces. So, if I were to kind of boil all of this down, and I know Paul is going through a bunch of different things in all these chapters of Galatians, let me just make it this 
simple. Paul here holds forth for us two realities about the church. The first is that we are locked in a struggle. Yes, we struggle with the world. Yes, we struggle with the devil. Yes, we struggle with insidious, horrible, ungodly teachings and perversions that are out there that are assailing us and confronting us. That is true. But the greatest struggle each of us endures is ourself, our flesh, which wants wicked things. But that struggle is overcome by the Spirit. The Spirit which produces fruit. And so, the first point I want you to take with you tonight is that the church is locked in struggle, and the struggle is each of us with ourselves, between our flesh and our spirit. But the second thing I want you to take with you is that the church that grows and becomes strong is the one that's rooted in the word where the Spirit's at work. Where our works of the flesh and of wickedness are overcome by forgiveness and life and hope. What the church needs most right now, what each of you individually needs more than anything else, is what you already have. The word of life that gives you God's Holy Spirit. That word that produces the fruit. And so, I invite each of you individually, as well as us congregationally, to reflect on how we can better commit ourselves to that word. To hear it, to think upon it, to hold it in our hearts, to treasure it, knowing what that word will do knowing exactly who is at work in that word. It's God himself. Paul would remind the Galatians of that. What they need is not their works or circumcision or some false idea that they can obtain the keeping of the law. Rather, They need Christ, his word, and the spirit that word delivers to you. God grant you his spirit today and always through his word that you would overcome in your battle against the flesh by the spirit which lives among us and in us and in you by means of God's word. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.